You are listening to Flash F1's Fast Pass with Gil and Mark. to another episode of Flash F1's Fast Pass. This is where Mark and I give you a little bit of information about the upcoming race, the 2019 Spanish Grand Prix, which is being held at the Circuit de Catalunya, or I don't know, maybe you want to... Oh my goodness. So so maybe I'll, I'll jump in at that point. But again, to Gil's point, welcome to uh, our second Fast Pass edition. Today, we're going to be recapping, probably not recapping, but more previewing the upcoming race this weekend in Spain. Now for the track review. The race is held at the Circuit de Barcelona, Catalunya. Uh, it's a racetrack that's been around since the early 1990s. Track completion happened in 1991. It's hosted a MotoGP Grand Prix and a Formula One Grand Prix in most years since then, including a couple of fairly interesting ones. Prior to the construction and the completion of the track, which happened almost in alignment with the 1992 Barcelona Summer Olympics, most Formula One Grand Prix in Spain were held at Jerez, which is another fairly popular track that's still used today. It held the 1994 and 1997 European Grand Prix tracks. It's used for a lot of testing. But this track's popularized largely because of location. It's close to the city of Barcelona. It's easily accessible through a variety of different types of mass transit. The track is well known to drivers and teams because they use it for a lot of pre-season testing. And there's been criticisms that maybe that kind of takes away from the track a little bit simply because the drivers and the teams are a little bit too familiar with it. So they're very comfortable in their approach to the track. But the track was constructed uh, leading up to the 1991 season. It held its first Mo- Formula One MotoGP the same year. It's a more conventional 4.6 kilometer, 16 turn track. Unfortunately, not a ton of overtaking. It is heavily spectated. So Spain, very much like Australia, is absolutely mad about motorsports. Perhaps they prefer, uh, I would say, motorcycle racing, but with the successes of Fernando Alonso last decade, Formula One has absolutely a fantastic place in the heartbeat and the culture of that city. In terms of track performance, Daniel Ricardo's recorded the fastest ever track at this, or fastest ever lap at this track, uh, minute 18.5, I believe. So we're, I think cars are going to be looking to crack the 117X this year, especially with some of the upgrades that we saw over the over the season or over, over the winter break. Yeah, and with uh, with what Mark said, Fernando Alonso is definitely with his participation in, in Formula One has increased the attendance uh, for this particular track. And uh, this this track here has got 66 laps, I believe, coming up into this race. Yep. Uh, with two DR zones, uh, one right after the pit straight, and then uh, one after another, uh, the Kamsa turn or a bend midway through the midway through the track. Yep. I think uh, the um, looking into, I think this particular racetrack is going to be having hard, medium, soft compounds, which is the C1, which is going to be, I guess, compound medium. And then the C2 is going to be compound soft. And then the C3 is going to be uh, compound super soft for this particular race. I think tire selection in team strategy is going to be very, very important. Well, the weather's usually fairly good for this event. Typically, it's a lot of sunshine and warmer temperatures. The geography of the track makes for a very interesting weekend for teams. The geography 
creates an environment where the wind changes. And again, I don't know this from experience, but really just having done some half-ass internet research, the wind can change quite dramatically directionally during the course of a single race, which makes it really difficult for teams to anticipate the setup that the cars require to be successful here. And that in turn places a lot of wear on tires. So tire strategy is is really, really important for teams and often plays very much into the successes that they have at this track. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for Flash F1 Official. I think maybe just kind of hit on a couple of other major highlights here. Again, maybe not something that's super interesting to our Formula One fans, but the 2009, again, I preface this by saying not all of our Formula One fans will love this fact, but perhaps one of the most uh, intriguing and most exciting moments that this track's ever experienced was a 2009 MotoGP race between Valentino Rossi and Jorge Lorenzo. Valentino Rossi managed to pass Jorge Lorenzo with an incredible, incredible overtake towards the end of the race to win it. Other big Formula One events saw an incredible battle between Ayrton Senna and Nigel Mansell in 1991. And this is kind of an interesting fact as well. In 1994, Michael Schumacher finished a race here in second place, despite having only fifth gear for half of the race. Oh yeah, I remember he that He only one. had fifth yep. gear, which is, which is crazy. And then I, I think a race that probably is more familiar with a lot of our listeners was the 2016 battle between Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton. Again, Nico Rosberg versus Lewis Hamilton that ended I think just after the second or third turn on the first lap when Hamilton again this is up for debate was pushed wide ended up on the grass Hydro's plane spun out took out Rosberg and finished both of their races which ultimately led to Max Verstappen's first win yeah so I remember that race vividly where uh, they were just coming around the corner and they 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 touched each other and you could see at the uh, when when they when they crashed that Hamilton had his hands on his helmet and he knew he made the mistake and uh, that was one where the, the team had a pretty uh, heated uh, conversation or end race discussion with those two toy and was wasn't even the only time in the 2016 season that the two of them made contact and had some physical interactions on the track. It was just the only moment that saw both of them DNF. And again, I, I would encourage anyone that hasn't seen this or doesn't remember, but go to YouTube, check it out. It's, it's very interesting. Lewis Hamilton was going for the undertake before the corner. Rosberg pushes him under the grass, ledges he didn't know, but ultimately pushes Hamilton on the grass. So Rosberg's running on the pavement. Hamilton's running parallel to him, but on the grass. Ultimately, the grass is very, very very slippery his aerodynamics don't work and he spun but ultimately hit Rosberg and they both ended up in the sand and then finally maybe one of the other big moments for this was in 2006 and you talked about Fernando Alonso a couple minutes ago he won the 2006 race which was the first time a Spanish driver had ever won a Spanish event in their home country in their home country and of course he did nothing but fuel the appetite for Formula One in that country now maybe one of the more disappointing things is that the Spanish Grand Prix has been very much a staple whether it was at Jerez whether it was at Circuit de Barcelona Catalonia it's been a staple on the calendar for decades and decades and decades dating back to the 1950s there's a very strong probability that next year or possibly even this year if the contracts terminated early may be the last running it looks like in the past the track despite the immense attendance the event's been heavily subsidized by the government and it's possible that track attendance alone isn't necessarily enough to cover the costs of hosting the event Um, with the sport desperate to get back to Zandavort to kind of 
to kind of uh, piggyback on a lot of the admiration and energy in that country around Max Verstappen, it's possible that this year or next year could be the last year in Spain, which I think would be a, a great shame. But ultimately, it's a track that doesn't promote a lot of overtaking, but it is a track that's entertaining nonetheless, specifically because of the forces that are pressed onto the cars due to the geography and the wind. Now for the Flash F1 news and gossip. A couple of weeks ago, and this is probably something you're going to find a little bit disappointing, but a couple of weeks ago we talked about the excitement that we had for a potential race in downtown Miami, uh, crossing those bridges along the boulevards and parkways between the buildings along the shorefront. It could have been fantastic. It looks like the opposition to the event Plus the sheer complex logistics of assembling a temporary circuit on the city streets once a year is simply going to be too much to overcome. Stephen Ross, the primary event organizer, is still very, very hopeful of hosting an event, but it certainly won't be in downtown Miami. So for me, the appeal is lost, but I get it from a logistical perspective. Shutting down the city for a couple of weeks before and after the event to set up and tear down kind of makes sense to me. By all accounts, he's still very much motivated to host an event, but by all accounts, the new event will be hosted quote-unquote adjacent to where the Miami Dolphins play, which basically translates to in a parking lot. So for me, <laughs> uh, the Miami GP, I'm out. I'm out on the Miami GP. I don't know if it still holds any appeal to you. If it's- I, I think for me, you know, regardless of... Um the track location within the venue. Uh, I just want to see something different. We've been doing a lot of European, Asian uh, tracks, and you know, bring introducing uh, new new tracks in different uh, venues is a little bit exciting to me. I just want to see how the drivers adapt to the new environment, to the new circuit. So, yeah. and kind of on the news of tracks, we also talked recently about Vietnam, and it looks like the event organizers in Vietnam, having recognized how hugely popular Baku is with viewers, are going to do as much as possible to emulate the successes of that track. So integrate some tight corners, integrate some long straights for overpassing and DRS, integrate some historical elements within the track to really make it resonate as kind of a a Vietnam-specific or kind of a unique Southeast Asian uh, track. So that could be interesting. Any more thoughts on Vietnam? Again, I'm also excited for Vietnam, but with that that particular track, if they're wanting to introduce all these ideas into that track, they've got a short amount of time based on their timeline saying that they want to get the track up and running by next year, by April of next year. Great so point. they need to get cracking. I'm excited. And, you know, like you said, we see a lot of European races. Um, I think some of these Asian races are incredibly exciting. Baku was a great addition to the calendar. Hopefully we do get another U.S. race and hopefully it's in one of these more tropical climbs. Um, Another quick update and kind of just speaking to that Baku piece, obviously last week we talked quite a bit about the fact that a manhole cover wasn't secured and ultimately uh, Charles Leclerc hit it, loosened it, and then when George Russell ran... It was George Russell, of course, when George Russell ran over it, it managed to get sucked out of the ground and destroy the underside of his car and damage the chassis, which ultimately needed to be replaced. By all accounts, it looks like the race organizers in Baku will be paying for all of those costs. They've been working with their insurer and their insurance is going to pay out. So from a Williams perspective, we talk about how finances might be a bit of a yes, struggle. It yes. looks like they, they will not be out other than the fact that they weren't able to qualify appropriately, but it looks like they're going to be compensated from a, a financial perspective. Uh, I think a couple of quick updates, and I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this one, but 
For those of you that don't know, Lewis Hamilton recently switched to a plant-based vegan diet. Um, he's now been quoted in a number of places saying, hey, it's made a huge difference to him in terms of quality of life, in terms of health, in terms of energy. Neither of us are vegan yeah. or even remotely close. Your yeah. thoughts on a superstar like uh, Hamilton switching to a vegan or a plant-based diet? Yeah, you know what? Whatever works for him, you know, if he's feeling better, I know for myself personally that if I have a bad diet and I'm eating like, you know, burgers and fries or I'm not, you know, consuming, you know, enough healthy nutrients that it plays on my day to day, whether I'm sitting at the office or whether I'm, you know, doing stuff around the house. Uh, if, if those that that particular diet works for him he's feeling better he's feeling lighter and it's gonna you know give him a good um mental stability uh, on the track then you know it's not gonna hurt worst worst case scenario doesn't do anything for him you know best case scenario uh you know he's feeling better uh on the track uh, mentally physically you know so yeah i'm i'm fine with his diet it doesn't really bother me and I, I don't think it can hurt. And this is a guy who has five titles. He's obviously hoping to reach seven or potentially eight. And if he feels that this helps him better during the season and it extends the quality of his life and it can extend his career, then all the power to him. And I, I'm sure based on his successes on the track, other drivers will probably follow suit as well. Now, another topic that we've talked about quite a bit over the course of this uh, season so far is the successes or perhaps lack of successes that Racing Points had. Obviously, a sixth place finish, a ninth place finish in Baku was a great, great coup for them, getting a couple of points finishes. But we spoke to the fact as well that when Lawrence Stroll took over this team midway through last season, the team was basically operating on a shoestring budget and really hadn't had the opportunity to bring a lot of um, development towards their 2019 car forward. Uh, we also knew that for preseason testing that this year they really brought the 2018 car and they didn't even bring a shell of the 2019 car until Australia, the first race of the season. By all accounts, they're expected to come heavily armed with new upgrades for Spain. So coming off of a successful race in Baku, given the fact that they're already fifth in the uh, Constructors' Championship, I'm very excited to see what they could potentially bring to Spain. Yeah, I'm also very curious. You know, they've talked the last race about what they're going to be bringing to to uh, Spain for for their uh, vehicle enhancements. So I'm hoping that uh, this will turn around. This new car, these new enhancements that they've got uh, projected for this race, is going to lead into um, a better standing for the team and uh, possibly a higher position, more points. So yeah, really excited to see what they're bringing to the table for this upcoming race. You have to think as well that given the fact that Lance has now failed to get out of Q1 for eight consecutive races, and really only four of those were with Racing Point. But you got to think that this is the race that with an upgraded car, this has to be the race, right? Like there's no way he doesn't get out of Q1 again. It's hard to say for me. Again, part of it could be the car and part of it could be the driver. You know, he's had a, you know, I like Stroll. He's Canadian. I like to support the Canadian boys, uh, Canadian drivers. Stroll, he's had a couple of highlights last year. I, I still think he needs to prove himself. But at this point right now, now that his father has control of the, of the, of the team, that uh, he needs to really represent like he, his his name, his father's team yeah, is on the line. So, true. and we talked about this before, where you know if he's underperforming ladder down the the season, does his father, for the sake of the team, let his son go and replace him with someone else? I think that's probably. And maybe not, because at the end of the day, if you buy a team, you're making a very substantial investment and you need that investment to pay off. And, and ultimately, 
points help contribute to the amount of money that you recover at the end of the season through uh, prizing and awards, et cetera. I got to think that Lance has some time specifically because they really haven't had their 2019 car. So they've really been playing a lot of catch up, but it'll be interesting from here. And I think this is why qualifying is so important for Lance. Like if you're going to now give them a 2019 car, and he already has a couple points finishes this year. And we saw Sergio Perez qualify fifth in Baku, which is absolutely yes. phenomenal. These guys have got to be qualifying consistently in that six, seven, eight, rain every single race and it's not acceptable for Lance not to be qualifying um, or at least getting out of Q2 because if Perez can qualify P5 with the exact same car Lance has got to break out of Q1 so hopefully we'll see that yeah maybe one other thing and, and this is uh, something I'm curious to get your thoughts on as well the 20 the 2016 season was really marked by the ongoing feud and mental battles between Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton and it made for great compelling TV even as Mercedes ran away with the championship the fact that those two were so aggressively going at each other and you could see it in the media you could see it in social media you could see it on the track as we just spoke to a couple minutes ago with Spain maybe we see a repeat of that this year and, and I think Hamilton's confident enough and the season's early enough that he's not threatened by Bottas but Bottas is also driving for his career because I think he recognizes that perhaps the only chance he'll ever have at winning a driver's championship is in the best car in the championship which is the Mercedes and Mercedes at the meantime still has Ocon ready to go they have George Russell with Williams ready to go my thought is for him it's it's all or nothing this year that this is his one chance of the title and one chance to retain the Williams or the Mercedes seat your thoughts on the the Bottas Hamilton battle as the season progresses well I don't really even see it as a battle right now and you know what kudos too early too early I think you know kudos to Bottas for really like going at it like yeah. he's he's not you know taking it sitting down uh he's racing like you said for his career and the situation with with Hamilton and and Rosberg uh from years past was Rosberg was really aggressive at, at his goal was to be a Formula One champ you know his father was a Formula One champ yeah. he's been struggling for years to to get into a position where he wanted to be you know up front and win and win the title and uh the 2016 season was one where he was aggressive enough and to me he's done a couple of under underhanded things to kind of get that get that championship Hamilton and, and Rosberg's relationship they go back all the way to cart yeah it's and very true. you know they, they've, they've got this this type of relationship good or bad or competitive relationship I think Hamilton and Bottas are working well as a one and two or two and one or as as equals on the track you know Bottas has finally got into a car that's really um, showing or propelling his skills yeah. uh, as opposed to the teams that he was with before. Um, you know, Hamilton's been with Mercedes for a while already, so is it something where, you know, he needs to, like, if his diet is something that's going to change him and and help him uh, drive mentally or physically better than Bottas, then all for it. But you know what? I'm really happy for Bottas for not, you know, taking it sitting down and going, go, he's got nothing to lose. Just, you know, go for it. And maybe some of his bitterness last season came from the fact that obviously he had that unfortunate puncture in Baku, which cost him a race win. And as the season went on, there were some team orders that were not in his favor, that were clearly in Hamilton's favor to help kind of firm up his chances at a driver's championship. But if we get to, if we get out of the summer break and we get to Austin and we get to Mexico City and these guys are still razor thin, like 
there can't conceivably be any team orders. But at the same time, I think Hamilton's very confident, and I think some of the criticism, or maybe not necessarily the criticism, but some of the analysis around Hamilton at that last race was he was very generous and gave Bottas some space and really didn't go at him until the last couple of laps, whereas if this was two or three races to go and they were as close as they were, Hamilton probably would have gone straight at him in that first or second corner. But I think it's going to be interesting to see because Ferrari's been a disappointment this season, despite the fact that Leclerc's been exciting to watch. Um, ultimately, maybe the narrative as the season goes along is really Bottas v. Hamilton. Any closing thoughts before we uh, sign off for the day? Yeah, I think I'm just going to give uh, our listeners the drivers and the team standings going into this upcoming race. So I'm just going to run over the, the the top five. So for the driver standings, with uh, Hamilton and Bottas's um, one and two last last race, you know, this last four races, last four races. This particular points for uh, Bottas and Hamilton is a one-point uh, separation. So you've got Bottas leading at 87 points. You've got Hamilton at 86 points. And then we've got Vettel at third with 52 points. Uh, we've got Max Verstappen at 51 points. And Leclerc with 47 points. And then going into uh, the constructors' points, we've got uh, Mercedes leading right now with 173 points. We've got Ferrari right behind them at 99 points. The spread between the two right now with these four races, just amazing, amazing. So Red Bull Racing with 64 points. We've got McLaren, wow, uh, fourth with 18 points. Unbelievable. Yeah, Racing Point, 17 points uh, in the fifth position right now. So it's going to be interesting to see what Racing Point's going to do with their enhancements or their, yeah. their newer car in this particular race. So hopefully they can bump up in the uh, Constructors' Championships. Exciting. So we have Spain this weekend. After that, we have Monaco. And after that, we have Canada. So the season's progressing really, really, really quickly. A lot of great storylines despite the Mercedes dominance. And hopefully our listeners uh, feel that we're making some progress with this podcast as well. So for me, that's all I got. Any closing statements? Nothing from me. I'm good. See, senor. Okay. Peace. Peace. This is Sarah signing off at Flash F1 with Gil and Mark. Thanks for listening. Join us next time as we recap the Spanish Grand Prix.